Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 9. Somebody asked me if we had any new grandbabies this week, and I said, no, not this week. <laughs> it doesn't happen every week. <laughs> we did watch the grandkids a lot this week, like every day, <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Last week, we talked about the transfiguration. Jesus took three of his disciples up on the mountain and there Jesus conversed with Moses and Elijah. And it says that Jesus was transfigured before them. He was transformed into a glorified body. We too, at some point in the future, will have a glorified body. So they had this mountaintop experience and Peter, being Peter, said, let's just stay here. Let's build a tent. Let's build one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and let's just stay. But Jesus had other plans in mind. He has already begun to tell them that he is going to be rejected. He is going to be beaten. He is going to be crucified. And then he is going to rise from the dead. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. He mentioned it briefly in last week's lesson. We'll talk about it again in today's lesson because this is the transition in the book of Mark. No longer is it, I'm the son of God. It's I'm heading toward the mission that God has given me, which is to die for our sins. So while Jesus and the three disciples were up on the mountaintop having this mountaintop experience... The rest of the disciples were down in the valley, if you will, muddling along and not doing very well. So we pick this up in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran to him and greeted him. Why were they greatly amazed? He hadn't been gone that long. But we have to envision what's happening here. A man, we're going to read this in just a moment. A man has brought his son to the disciples to be fixed, cured of a demon possession. And the disciples try to do it, and they fail miserably. So the disciples are arguing with the religious leaders who are arguing with the people. They're all arguing with each other. What are they arguing about? Well, I can imagine what the scribes are saying. See, you can't do anything. You're a worthless bunch of people. It's all a hoax. If Jesus isn't here to do the magic trick, you are worthless. And the disciples said, no, no, no. We don't know what they were arguing about, but it says they were arguing. So Jesus walks up and he asked them, what are you arguing about? Have you ever been in a room where you just wished Jesus would show up and say, what are you arguing about? <laughs> have you been in one of those arguments? I have. I've probably started some of them. 
Jesus steps up and he says, what in the world are you arguing about? Years, years ago, I taught a, a series of lessons on questions that Jesus asked people. Now, I did teach another series on questions that people asked Jesus. I don't think I covered this question, but it's a great question. What are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him. The disciples are almost too embarrassed to answer the question. So somebody from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Question number one. Not Jesus' question number one, but my question number one. Why weren't they able to do it? We know several chapters before this, that Jesus sent them out two by two and he gave them the power and the authority to heal people and to cast out demons. Yet Jesus has been gone for, I don't know, one day and the rest of the disciples seem to have lost this ability. A man brings us his son who is suffering from demon possession. It makes him mute, but also it makes him throw himself into the fire, into the water, try to damage himself. I mean, it's a bad situation. And you can understand why the father is concerned about this, right? You can understand that. Why couldn't the disciples do anything about it? Let's keep reading for a moment. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here. Now, depending on what commentary you read, who is he talking about? This faithless generation. One group says, obviously, he's talking to the disciples because the disciples were unable to do it. Another group says he was talking to the crowd, and I think the proper answer, he, he was talking to all of them. Today, we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about believing. You do know, right, that faith and believe are actually the same word in the Greek. One of them is a noun and one of them is a verb. I have faith, I do something, and that something is believe. I believe certain things to be true. I believe and I put my belief into action and doing so I have faith. And throughout the book of Mark, throughout all the Gospels, you see Jesus interacting with his disciples and telling them repeatedly, O ye of little faith. So we have this idea that you can have a little bit of faith, or you can have more faith, or you can have great faith. 
So Jesus is sitting here listening to this argument, and it was an argument. As I said, I have this picture of him kind of walking up, and here comes the crowd, and he hears all this arguing going on. He hears this argument, and it's like he shakes his head and says, Oh, you faithless generation, how long am I going to put up with you? Why are they a faithless generation? Because they are refusing to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Question number two. Are we also a faithless generation? We'd better not answer that one. And Jesus says, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Now, we do know, right, because we've talked about this repeatedly in the book of Mark, the demons seem to be the one group of entities that know who Jesus is. I mean, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, all of those people are always questioning who he is. The demons always know who Jesus is. Okay? And when they see Jesus, they usually do something. And in this case, they cause the boy to basically have a spasm of some sort. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening? And he said, from childhood. I don't have any idea how old this boy is. But all of his life, he has been demon-possessed. Now, we're not going to get into that discussion because we've had that discussion about what it means to be demon-possessed. And it often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. There's the great question for Jesus. If you can do anything... If you can, have compassion and help us. Now, you have to remember, this man has brought his son to the disciples and the disciples couldn't do anything about it. So he's kind of, he's heard the rumors, but all, he's beginning to question whether anything can be done. So all he says is, if you can do something, have compassion on us. And Jesus responds, if I can. Now, you know that the original doesn't have punctuation marks. For some reason in the SV, it's an exclamation mark. I would have put a question mark there. What are you saying? If I can? Are you nuts? I'm God. No, he never said that, but that's what's happening. And here it comes. If I can, all things are possible for one who believes. We need to stop there and ponder for a moment. Everything is possible for the person who believes, for the person who has faith. I've told you the story before. When we lived in Virginia for two years, we had some good friends, 
And the lady, she had a good friend who was dying of cancer. And until the day that that lady died, her husband continued to tell her, if you had faith, you wouldn't die. When we had our first child, we went to our birthing class. Okay? It was held in Dr. Boyd's office. He delivered most of our babies. And at the last session, this was a group of people, and at the last session, one of the guys that was there with his wife said, I want to give you something to all of us. And he passed out a piece of paper. I did not let my wife see this piece of paper. This piece of paper said, if you have faith, you will not have pain in childbirth. As Dr. Boyd told the group, we have lots of drugs and they're all legal. So here's my question. If everything is possible, if you believe, why did the lady die of cancer? Why was her husband wrong? Remember, there's a little faith, there's more faith, and there's a bunch of faith. Did she just not have enough? And so she died. Did my wife, right there, have pain in childbirth because she did not have enough faith? If you believe everything is possible, now, we can talk about that sentence, and we're going to. But to me, the next sentence is one of the best sentences in the whole book. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is one of the most honest Sentences in the scripture. The man says, I do believe you can do something, but Jesus helped me in my unbelief. Does he have faith? Or does he not? Does he have faith, yet he recognizes that his faith is limited? That his faith is... Weak? What is faith? Well, to talk about faith, you obviously have to go to Hebrews chapter 11. Because the whole chapter is about faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. If you were a good... I don't know, atheist today, you would say faith is believing something you know isn't true. I've read that. That's what faith is. Believing something you know isn't true. 
The thing we need to remember about faith is faith is not a matter of me sitting in a chair trying to grunt out enough belief so that I, in my faith, can do something. My faith is in something, and that something, Jesus Christ, is who does the work. We read the scripture and we see what Jesus has done. We read the scripture and we see what God has done. We read the scripture and we understand how God works in this world. And faith says, I will believe the promises of God. And if God promises this, he will do this. And I have faith. I will act upon my understanding. That is faith. Faith says, Jesus, God, will keep his promise and I will act upon it. When I have little faith, I have a little bit of belief that God will keep his promises. If I have a lot of faith, I have a lot of belief that God will keep his promises. But God is going to keep his promises whether I have little or great faith. But my life will be determined by the faith that I have in what God is going to do in my life. The rest of chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is about people who lived by faith. By faith, Moses, by faith, this person, by faith, this person believed God and acted upon it. Unfortunately, near the end of the chapter is this bizarre verse. And many of them didn't see in this life the fulfillment of the promise. Did Abraham see his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky? No. But by faith, he believed in Jesus. No, he believed in God. And he lived his life based on it. Was that faith misplaced? No. Because that promise was fulfilled. Through Abraham, all the nations of the world have been blessed because Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. But then there's this other strange verse at the end of it. Lots of these people died they were beaten. They were sawn in two. They were thrown to wild beasts, etc., etc., etc. Now, if all things are possible, why did those things happen? Last week in the sermon, if you remembered it, there was this discussion about prayer and ask for whatever you want and it'll be given to you. Okay? 
and I was reminded of my fabulous intellectual exercise as a young person where I made the profound statement that you should never wish for a pizza. Okay, you've heard this, right? Because if a pizza automatically appeared right there, you would be disappointed because all you asked for was a pizza. And the next week, I mentioned this in class one time, and the next week somebody gave me a gift card for a pizza place and said, you should have wished for steak. <laughs> but sometimes that's what we look at that verse that says, pray for anything you want and you'll get it. It's the magic key. You know, you turn it, you open the door and there's anything that you want. Let me tell you, the prayer that will always be answered. Always without question. Because it's the prayer that Jesus prayed. Not the Lord's prayer, which was his model. It was the one he prayed in the garden. But not my will, but thy will be done. Here is the question. God is working to accomplish a purpose in this life, in this world, in your life, in your world. And do you, by faith, have the belief to get on board with what he's doing? Or are you too busy Wishing for a pizza. Why does God answer some prayers and apparently doesn't answer some prayers? There's another illustration that I've used from the Bible that I really like. And that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. Or jump to the New Testament, Stephen, preaching the gospel and stoned. Stephen died. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved from the fiery furnace. Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have more faith than Stephen? No. Every promise made to Stephen was fulfilled. He is now enjoying a life greater than whatever he could have imagined. Every promise made to Stephen was fulfilled. And he died. The promises of God will stand. You may go through difficult times. You will go through difficult times. Not maybe. You will go through. Some of you are in those difficult times. The promises of God will stand. The question is, are we a faithless generation or do we believe? Or, probably my answer, do we need to be like this man? who says, I do believe, but please help me. 
help me in my unbelief. The man asked Jesus, if you can, have compassion and help us. And Jesus responds, if I can, by faith, anything is possible. By faith, we are told you can say to that mountain and it can move. By faith. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. When Jesus commands, it happens. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? You know that's the question that's been on their minds this whole time, right? Why couldn't we do it? We could do it before. You gave us the power to do it before. Why couldn't we do it here? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Other copies of the ancient manuscripts add and fasting. Jesus never really tells them why they couldn't do it other than to imply that they were trying to do it apart from God. What is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is me sitting down, having a conversation with God. We just did that. It is me transmitting to God praise, honor, my request, whatever it is. It is me communicating with God and expecting God to communicate with me. What I get from this, and you can show more grace to the disciples if you want to, is that Jesus had physically left the disciples And the disciples had decided we can do these tricks without going to God. You know, I have the magic wand. I have the magic spell. I can do the trick. And the man brings the child up and you go, oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Be healed. Demon, leave. Demon, you hear me? Demon. And nothing happens. And then they start arguing with the people around them why nothing happens. What should they have done? Well, the implication is they should have prayed. That's the implication. If you believe all things are possible, 
I believe, help my unbelief. What is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is acknowledging my dependence upon God for everything. You go, well, I don't need help from God to take my next breath. I don't need help from God to walk out of this room. Well, you're not acknowledging the fact that God gives you your next breath, that God gives you the ability to take the next step, that God gives you the ability to say the next word, that God is doing these and you are living a life of total dependence upon God. But you don't want to see it that way. We don't want to see it that way. I don't want to see it that way. So we need to go back for just one moment and talk about faith again and believe. I believe I can fly. It's a song. What do we talk about today in our world when we talk about belief? Believe in yourself. Believe in your ability to do great things. We kind of use it as a synonym for having confidence. And I'm okay with confidence. God has given you some abilities. God expects you to utilize those abilities. Go do it in the power of God. But when you start putting your faith in you, you are never going to accomplish the will of God. I don't know. You may be able to do a lot of things. You may be able to plow your field, but you're never going to do the will of God. I mentioned a while ago, faith is not me sitting in the chair, grunting and trying to exert enough mental willpower to believe something that I know isn't true. Faith has an object and that object is God, Jesus. I don't believe in me worth a flip. Our faith needs an object. The disciples, I believe, and as I said, all we have is this one sentence that Jesus gave them. We're trying to do this through their own power and strength. And guess what? They couldn't do it before, they couldn't do it now, and they're not going to be able to do it later. But they're going to do really great things through their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. Here we see the same passage that we saw in the last chapter. 
He's beginning to tell them and they don't understand because it does not fit into their picture of what the Messiah is going to accomplish for the nation of Israel. They are not going to drive the Romans out. They are not going to set up the kingdom. They are not going to rule on uh, 12 thrones around Jesus who's on the big throne. That's not going to happen. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Now, you know what's happening, right? Jesus is up there walking. He's got one disciple with him. All the rest of the disciples are kind of back there a little bit. You know how people scatter out when you're walking? And they're talking about something. And he asked them, what were you talking about? What did we just see? He asked them, what were you arguing about? So we've kind of gotten better from arguing to talking, okay? This is one of those questions that Jesus knows the answer to. But he's going to ask them anyway. What were you talking about? But they kept silent. Were you ever talking about something and somebody walks in the room and says, what are you talking about? And you don't want them to know what you were talking about? I've done that before. You know, you hem and haw and you don't really say, my children have done it. And when my grandchildren get old enough to actually talk, they'll be doing it regularly. What you doing? Hmm? His observation is, were they smart enough not to lie to him? And that's probably true. Okay, we'll give him that much faith right there. As a general rule of life, lying to God is a bad idea. We do it all the time, by the way, but it's a bad idea. But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was to be the greatest. We would never have that discussion, would we? Think about this for just one second, just to stir up their anger a little bit. Jesus takes three of them, three, the special ones, the chosen ones, the real disciples, the real guys, up on the mountain with him. Which means by definition, he left nine of them sitting down in the valley not being able to do what they were supposed to do. Now, if you were one of the three, <laughs> wouldn't you feel just a little bit cocky? I mean, let's face it, right? Just a little bit cocky? And besides, you've got a secret and you're not allowed to tell them. <laughs> Isn't that fun? If you're one of the nine and you're not invited into the room, you're not invited to the party, you're not invited to see something that you don't know what it is, but later you'll find out. Don't you feel a little bit rejected? These disciples are human beings just like you and I. And if you've never done this, 
Well, if you tell me you've never done it, you're lying to me. Okay? Just saying. At some point in your life, you've been in the in-group, and at some point in your life, you've been out of the in-group, and both of them have their temptations. So here are the disciples walking along going, who do you think is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Well, I'm his favorite. My children always tell me that. One of my daughters one time sent me a picture of a book. Here, you can get this to me for Christmas. It was to my favorite daughter. I said, great, I need six copies of it. This is what we do as human beings. But just to confuse things, they're still thinking they're going to sit on a throne. And Jesus is telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be rejected. And they're still arguing who gets to sit on the throne next to him. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him, the child, in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. The first must be last. The servant will be the top dog. We saw this in the sermon about three weeks ago. Remember? They show up for the Last Supper. They're all sitting there looking for the servant that's going to wash their feet. It's tradition. Their feet are filthy. They're wearing sandals. They're, the streets are horrible. And somebody needs to wash their feet. And they're all looking around for the servant that's supposed to do that. And no one shows up. So some of them could have thought, well, you know, nobody's going to do it. I guess I'll do it. But they're not going to do it because they want to be the number one dog. So Jesus takes off his outer cloak. He gets the water and he washes their feet. That's what we're seeing here. This is what Jesus is telling them. And then he starts talking to them about children. If I'm going to be top dog, I want to be with the important people. I want to be with the movers and shakers. I'm not interested in being around the little children. What are they going to do for me? And Jesus says, take care of the little children. Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. And if you receive me, you receive the one who sent me. But guess what? We're going to jump down to verse 42, and we're going to talk about children some more. So we'll continue that discussion next week. What is the point of this lesson? 
Your life will be determined by the faith that you have. But that faith is not in you. That faith is not in how much money you have in the bank. That faith is or ought to be in Jesus. But we living in this faithless generation have to acknowledge the fact that sometimes we don't have that faith. And we, like the man who brought his son to Jesus, and you know he brought his son to Jesus because he had tried everything else. There was no other option. And all he could say to Jesus is, I do believe, but please, please help my unbelief. And you know what? That's an honest sentence. Jesus did not look at him and say, well, come back to me when you've got it all straightened out. He took that as an acceptable answer. He liked that answer. And he gave the man what the man requested. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live our lives on the basis of those promises. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.